Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined tonight by a friend and an old colleague and probably more recently, one of my main fantasy football rivals, and that's Andrew Clemens. Andrew, welcome to the pod tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to get into the Vikings um, with the, the upcoming season on the horizon, but I, I wanted to start tonight talking a little bit about um, our fantasy football rivalry. So we've been in the same fantasy league for what now? Uh, three, four years? That, that's kind of what I was thinking. Three, four years sounds about right. And I believe two years ago, you came within point three points of qualifying for for the finals, right? And Or for the, the Super Bowl, so to speak, and you didn't make it. Even in fantasy football, I am a true Minnesota Vikings fan. Coming close, but having some bad luck. Yeah, that happens to us all. And I'm also a true Minnesota Vikings fan. And yet last year, I took home the trophy. Um, I, I don't know if you guys are uh, like giving me like an asterisk, like the COVID bubble um, fantasy football crown. But I, I'm wearing it proudly any, any way you shake it. And you know, I, I, I know that on draft night last year, a lot of people made fun of me for blowing all of my cash in our auction league, right, on about three guys and leaving about $50 to sign my last 10 players. And yet, you know, fantasy's fluky that way. Even though I spent all that money, Andrew, on three guys, two of the three were hurt for most of the season. Uh, Michael Thomas, the receiver for the Saints, and Christian McCaffrey. And yet, you know... I got some good luck, a couple of good pickups at the end of the year, and you know I slid into the playoffs. And before you know it, I come out and I I got the crown. Um, and I've never won. I've never won before in like almost twenty fantasy football seasons. So, so that was nice. I'm looking forward to uh, beating you two times this year. Well, we'll just have to see how it goes. And you know, maybe it's my year. I know that's the Vikings fan prayer, but maybe it's my year. We'll have to see. But you had a good win last year. I don't think there's an asterisk next to it. Um, and it's always fun playing with you. Um, it's been great having you in the fantasy league. And I think it's a good group. Um, but, of course, you know, I hope it's my year. Everyone wants to win, right? Right. That's exactly it. And I, I think it is. I mean, the key about fantasy is just getting a bunch of guys together that, like, you know, some weeks you have it and some weeks you don't. But each week you're going in and, you know, you're swapping out guys that are in bye weeks and, you know, if you've got the time, you're you're studying the waiver wire and you're making your claims mm-hmm. and, you know, that's all you can ask. And then on Sundays and, you know, I guess Mondays and Thursdays and at the end of the year, Saturdays, like, you know, it draws you in a little bit more to games like a three o'clock, you know, AFC West game, um, uh, Chargers, you know, playing against the Chiefs. I'm like, all right, I'm all in because I got three guys that are playing, right? That's kind of the beauty of it is that you watch the Vikings game more times than not, you're disappointed, but you're like, I still got my fantasy team. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a great point about it gets you more invested in other games that you might not otherwise care too much about. Um, and it gives you something kind of fun to cheer for. Um, especially like during the bye week, you know, when the Vikings aren't playing, maybe pick a team where you have some guys, who are playing that you can cheer for and hope that they get you some points. Definitely. I think makes it more fun and kind of more engaging throughout the season. Yeah. Yeah. I I used to have this thing, Andrew, where 
Like I really had a hard time when I first started fantasy and this was back in high school in the late nineties, mind you. And there was no computers. It was all magazines and you would meet together at a table and there'd be a commissioner who would write down all the draft picks. Right. And I was like, I don't want to play against the Packers if I have Brett Favre because I want him to throw four touchdowns, but I want the Vikings to win. So it needs to be a 35, 28 Vikings victory, but I need Favre to like to ball, you know? And like, mm-hmm. but over time, like I've, I've learned to let go of that and maybe I've drafted a little bit differently. So I'm not constantly um, putting up my, my, my hometown team, the Vikes against uh, fantasy opponents in the NFC North. Um, but, you know, speaking of the Vikings, Andrew, you know, we came into cheering for them and being fans of them in much different ways. And I've always been really interested because, you know, growing up, my dad was a Vikings fan. His dad was a Vikings fan. Like we had the TV, you know, peel to the Vikings on Sunday. My mom, my mom was probably the biggest Vikings fans of them all. And is certainly the most emotional. Her screams could be her, you know, her still can, I'm sure two, three houses down on big plays. And so by five, six years old, I'm, you know, in the mid 1980s, I'm watching the Vikings and I'm living through, you know, all those seasons and all that trauma and all those almost you know, make it, but not quite, but you had a much different path as a, as, as a Vikings fan. What, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a different experience on my end, although I got there eventually. Um, so I grew up in kind of a different situation. Uh, my parents didn't really care about football, so we didn't have it on the TV. We weren't watching it. Um, didn't have older siblings who were into football or things like that. And I grew up in the 90s, so a lot of my friends would talk about, you know, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, and, you know, it was an exciting time for a lot of Vikings fans in that late 90s. And my family just didn't really get me into it. Um, so it took a little while where I would kind of follow some stuff. You know, I'd try to watch some games here and there, but I definitely wasn't into it like I am now. Um, that kind of changed in 2009. You know, Vikings had that great run with Brett Favre. And I remember that's where it just kind of started to click. Um, and it really connected with me in a way it hadn't before. And just kind of, um, that's just kind of been history since and been a big fan. And I think, um, a, a pretty, uh, dedicated fan ever since then as well. Definitely, um, you know, I've been tuned in every season since. Well, Andrew, I think, you know, in some ways, despite the fact that maybe, you know, you were in your 20s and I was in my, yeah, I was probably five, six, seven years old, kind of coming into our fandom as like a diehard purple and gold fan, right? 1987, the Vikings, I'm seven, I'm seven years old. We're in the NFC championship game against the Washington Redskins, um, who go on to win the Super Bowl, by the way. And it wasn't even close against the Denver Broncos. We're down 17 to 10, end of the game. Darren Nelson, our running back, drops a pass on the goal line. And he would have scored easily, right? So, like, that's one of my first, like, real memories of, like, the team letting us down. And then, of course, you've got 98, where we go 15 and 1. We make the NFC Championship game against the Falcons. Gary Anderson, who hadn't missed an extra point or field goal the entire year, of course, misses the field goal that would have won the game. In 2000, Dante Culpepper, Chris Carter, um, Randy Moss, you know, we get into the NFC Championship against the Giants, 41 Donut. 
And so you, like the first year that you really get into Minnesota fandom, 2009, Brett Favre, Percy Harvin, um, Adrian Peterson, a lot of excitement, right? Really good football team. And we get into the NFC championship game and we lose in Bounty Gate against the New Orleans Saints. What was that like as a guy that was like just kind of coming in to being the Vikings fan that you would ultimately like be very passionate about feeling that loss in the 2009 NFC championship game? You know, by the time of the NFC championship game, I was on board. Like, you know, I was already watching, tuned in. Like I said, you know, 2009 was the year that kind of got stuff going. But by the time the NFC championship game came around, I was loving it. It was clicking and I was on board as a fan. And I remember watching it and just this huge disappointment, you know, the interceptions, um, of course, like all the dirty plays from the Saints, the late hits, um, the head hunting, and just kind of the frustration of watching and kind of asking what's going on, both with like the officiating, but as well as, you know, some of the play from the team. Um, so the first season that really resonated with me, you know, it had some huge highs, but it also had some of those lows that Viking fans have come to almost just anticipate um, when things start going well, unfortunately. Well, you got up to a good start in terms of how you were conditioned as a fan, Andrew, because I heard you say two things like huge disappointment and not really sure why things were going the way they were going, uh, you know. And that was what a welcome, what what a welcome to the fan base because the, 2009 was exactly, you know, what all the years that I was talking about in 87, 98, 2000. And then what was the year we played the, the Eagles in the NFC championship game after the, the miracle in Minneapolis? Oh, um, 2017, I think. Was it 17? The year the Eagles go on to win the Super Bowl, of course. Um, and you know, like just kind of the way it goes. And you know, I think Andrew, some of that, like, man, things are going to go off the rails, has already started to happen in the Vikings training camp, right? And tonight on the podcast, like we were talking about, you know, how are we going to, so we wanted to talk about the, you know, the Vikings preview and how are we going to, the you know, frame the outline. And you made the point, well, there's lots of reasons why it could go bad and there's lots of reasons why it might go well, right? And so we wanted to kind of go through those. And in starting, like, let's start, since we're already at the bad, with all of the things that we've endured as, as, as fans of the purple and gold um, this year then. So, you know, you made the point to me in our, in our text exchange, you think that the roster changes on defense in particular could be troubling considering how many different parts are kind of coming and going. Yeah, I, I would actually say um, some of the concerns I think came up even before the preseason game, um, you know, I think there's a lot of hope with some of these uh, free agent signings. Um, and I think just getting some of our guys back that we were really missing last year. Um, Michael Pierce, Daniil Hunter. Um, you got to think that those guys, if they had been playing last year, that probably would have really helped, especially in some of those close games. And I think that would have translated to one or two more wins, which one win would have got us to the playoffs last year, even though it was just such a rough year. Um a lot of people kind of forget the Vikings were still close and they're still in it, even though the defense was pretty rough. Um, so I think there's a lot of excitement kind of leading into everything. And um, 
unfortunately, um, some drama came up. I think uh, a lot of Vikings fans were kind of soaking in all the stuff going over across the border in Wisconsin. You know, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to retire? Is he going to force his way out? Um, it was kind of a fun off season as a Vikings fan for a while, which inevitably spells trouble with the way things go with this team. And I think, um, you know, stuff's really kind of been getting shaken up even for a few weeks before preseason, um, like with some of the COVID exposures, multiple uh, quarterbacks having to uh, go through the COVID protocols. Um, all of a sudden it's like the season potentially is going to have some problems before we've even gotten going. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Like there was a lot of, I think after, especially after the draft, like, so we're thinking to ourselves, like, we've got all these free, the Xavier Woods at safety and, you know, Pierce and Tomlinson are going to be back in the front on the defensive line, right? Daniil Hunter's coming back and we've signed Patrick Peterson and we've got, we fixed our offensive line through the draft and like, we're all feeling this kind of like this, this team was close last year to your point. We were seven and nine, only a game or two out of the playoffs. And, and then, you know, like you said, yeah, all of our quarterbacks are into COVID exposure. So they're quarantined. And the offensive line, if you want to get into that, like Derisaw hasn't stepped foot on the um, field in Egan yet this year. And, and Davis has had some, you know, why Davis, our third round draft pick, hasn't, you know, he, he's been a little up and down in training camp, had a decent outing against the Broncos, but he's had some ankle injuries. And so, and Zimmer just kind of seems like the curmudgeon old man. Like he's just ready to call out anybody and everybody. And, you know, if this is the year Zimmer's on the hot seat and this is what we're going to see from him, at least what we have so far in training camp, like if things go off the rails, at least we're going to have the entertainment of that guy calling out every player on this team. Yeah, he, I, I think a lot of Vikings fans, um, at least in the last few weeks, have connected with Zimmer's frustrations. Um, you know, I know that some people think that's kind of curmudgeonly approach maybe rubs um, people the wrong way, some of the players, and it, it very well might. Um, but I think as a fan, seeing a coach display some frankness is in some ways kind of nice, although you hope everything's okay on the locker room side. There's a part of me that likes to just remind myself that we have free agents who are coming here specifically to work with Zimmer. You know, guys like Barr have taken pay cuts to stay with this team when he backed out of the contract with the Jets. Um, like, there's guys who want to be here. So sometimes when I worry about Zimmer's personality in the locker room, I think, well, you can't be that bad. But then again, there's some there's some things going on this season which he hasn't really had to deal with. Um, with all the COVID stuff, you don't necessarily know how the locker room is feeling when some guys are getting vaccinated and some aren't, and there's kind of a divide there. Well, they're back in person, right? Like last year, it was all Zoom calls until play started, you know, week one on the field. I mean, for the most part, there was no training camp. There was no legitimate off season. And you're right now, you know, we're, we're dealing like, as everybody is in society with the pandemic. And there's a good chunk of Minnesotans that are vaccinated and there's a sizable chunk of Minnesotans that aren't. And then, you know, now you throw in the Delta variant and you know, although, you know, the vaccination still seems to be pretty effective against preventing the worst of the illness, like you can still get it. And so, you know, there's all this information going back and forth and it played out, you know, 
in the Vikings locker room. And Kirk Cousins became the poster boy of like players that chose not to get the vaccination and like was the ire of the Vikings fan base. Um, you know, for like there was like a week or 10 days. That's all we talked about. Um, and talk about like just deflating the balloon in terms of momentum going into the season. This is before we've even played one preseason game. Yeah, Kirk Cousins has kind of become uh it's kind of become the meatloaf of the NFL. You know, if you watch any of his pressers, he keeps saying, you know, I'll do anything for this team, but I won't do that. Um so it's interesting though, because <laughs> Hold on, I just put that whole thing together. <laughs> I'll do anything for this team, but I won't do that. Meatloaf. I thought you were talking about the dish that our that our mothers and grandmothers baked for us in the oven. You're talking about the artist. Actual meatloaf <laughs> is a little too spicy to represent Kirk Cousins, I think. Um, you know, he, there's nothing wrong with... Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of vanilla. I don't mean that in a mean way at all. Um, I think I'd rather have that from a quarterback versus... Him like captaining, captaining the love boat or something like that. Um, definitely, he's kind of become the poster boy in a way that I think a lot of us would prefer he wasn't. I preferred him being the poster boy of Pizza Ranch and Sleet Number versus, um, you know, the poster boy of not getting vaccinated. Well, you know, it kind of felt right when you saw those commercials with Kirk Cousins, like walking through the buffet line at the Pizza Ranch at their you know, their, their greasy chicken and their pizza that probably, I'm not sure it's worth the price of admission, but a lot of people think it's good. And that's kind of how Kirk Cousins play is like a lot of people think he's a decent quarterback and we've certainly paid him like he is. And yet, you know, you, you kind of wonder like, so he, he's a decent quarterback. Like you could probably rank him anywhere from like 13th to the 25th best quarterback in the league, depending on what you're looking for in a guy, right? So sort of middle of the pack, but he's getting paid like he's one of the front runners or near the top. And I think that's the part with Minnesota fans that never quite sits well. And then when you throw in a guy that can't, you know, doesn't really seem to have the tact in the locker room and in the media says things in a way that sometimes leaves you wondering why he said it that way. And you put all that together and the Kirk Cousins experience, at least for me, just sort of, I'm, I think about what is my legacy of him and my mind going to be when he's done. And I mean, and it could change, of course, if this team is really great this year or next year and we do things that we haven't done up until now. I'm just going to be like, I think, you know, five years from now, Kirk Cousins, he was a guy. He played quarterback for a while. But, you know, maybe that's shaded by my expectations of quarterback play in the NFC North, which. You know, our, our, our rivals to the East seem to have gotten that position right. Yeah. And I, you know, I've kind of had this long running theory, excuse me, I've had this theory that the Packers have really kind of impacted how Vikings fans perceive quarterback play. Um, you know, they've had two back to back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, which statistically is just, it's hitting the lottery two times. Um, there's only so many. Hall of Fame quarterbacks that come around and they managed to get them back to back, which is just crazy. And when you play them twice a year and sometimes with the playoffs more than twice a year, you know, Vikings fans have had over 20 years of watching 
just these top tier quarterbacks play against us. I think it's, um, I think it speaks well to, you know, Coach Zimmer how well he's been able to actually pull off some great performances defensively against Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I think that perception of having these two, I mean, top five quarterbacks when they're in the league, playing against us for over 20 years, it impacts how people perceive quarterbacks and kind of what they expect from their own quarterbacks. And I do think that a lot of people, who doesn't want a Hall of Fame quarterback on their team? But there's only so many of them. It takes a lot of not just good scouting and development, but it also takes some luck to get someone like that. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily know how a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes would turn out, you know, if they had gone to an organization that was more dysfunctional. You know, um, I think about like the Browns quarterback jersey that just accumulated names for years and years. But, you know, if Aaron Rodgers had gone to the Browns years ago, would he be the Aaron Rodgers we've been seeing for years now? I would guess probably not. But I think you're kind of making two points that are like, you know, counteracting against one another, Andrew, because on the one hand, you're saying like the Green Bay is really lucky because like they drafted two franchise quarterbacks in a row and they have and they've developed them and they've turned into quarterbacks that have won, you know, Super Bowls for them. Though I would say given the Rodgers and Favre experience, like even though they've gotten two, you might as a Green Bay fan say like maybe we should have gotten a few more. But most of the divisions have a guy. You know, and, and so there's a team that's figured out, you know, they've drafted the right guy and they've developed him in a, and they put him in a position where he can be a winner. And the Packers have done that twice in a row. And you're right. If they had been drafted by the Browns, they probably wouldn't be the quarterbacks they are, but that's probably a testament to the franchise then, right? Like part of it is luck, but part of it is like getting the right guy, developing them the right way and turning him into a, or helping him find his way to becoming a franchise quarterback. When's the last time the Vikings drafted and developed a franchise quarterback? Fran Tarkenton? That's probably my answer too. I would you could probably convince me that we were on our way with Dante Culpepper up until the knee injury. Like I mean, he was he was certainly a really impactful guy and we drafted him and he was doing really well, but yeah, probably Fran Tarkenton and then just a bunch of guys that we drafted that didn't work out or other guys from other teams that we brought in and yeah, I, I think playing the Packers twice a year uh, like gives us that sense of this is what the standard can be. And so we do have that feeling that we can do more. And when you pay Cousins 30 to $35 million a year, like you're expecting him to lead the locker room, to be the guy that guys kind of, you know, uh, he he leads them, and to be a guy that can like win ball games for you. And yet year after year when I hear about the Vikings talk about their offense, they're like, well, if the offensive line is good and – if we set up the offense in a way that works for Kirk Cousins and if we get players around him. And, you know, I guess you could say that about a lot of guys. But, you know, when I heard the term franchise quarterback, the one thing I think to myself, can he go out and win a game on his own? Kirk Cousins can't do that, can he? I would say sometimes he can. I wouldn't hang my hat on him to do it consistently, and I wouldn't want to gamble on it. But I would say sometimes he can. Um Something that stands out was, I think it was 2019, um, playoff game against the Saints. You know, he throws that bomb to Adam Thielen, gets him um, close to the end zone, and then he does that nice throw to Kyle Rudolph. Like, 
Kirk Cousins, you know, he made some great plays. Yes, he had some really good weapons that were working with him there, but he made some great plays. Um, and I think the thing is, like, I, I agree with your points about it's a little bit like catching lightning in a bottle and knowing what to do with it when it comes to a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's got to work out, both with the player's skill set and their abilities and how they develop, but also what the organization does with them. And the Vikings have had a hard time drafting and developing that talent. I think Vikings fans give their rookies a lot more leeway because there's all that hope. You know, there's that hope that this person's going to turn into that. Um, I mean, there's still people who want Teddy Bridgewater to be the quarterback. And I love Teddy Bridgewater, but he's definitely kind of shown, like, you know, he's not going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, And moving on from him was probably the right call. With that said, I think people have become used to just seeing this very high-quality quarterback play, and understandably they want that. But for most teams, I think that the path to a Super Bowl involves having a well-rounded team with a lot of talent at all levels, having a quarterback that is good enough and reliable enough to execute within the system and use the tools given to them, and also some luck. Because it's hard to win, and you know, the saying, any given Sunday, like, Anything can happen. And so I get why they rolled the dice with Kirk Cousins, because, you know, on paper and everything, I think he can be that guy where he needs some things to go his way. But when he has the pieces around him, I think it can they can make a deep run. Um, unfortunately, you know, I think if they had made it to the NFC Championship game a couple years ago, people would feel a little bit differently about Kirk Cousins and his abilities, like, I think that playoff game against the Saints was great. You know, he stepped up and he showed, you know, he could make some plays when it counted. Um, but, you know, people have short memories. Like, what's he done for us lately is kind of where I think a lot of people are. I think that's where a lot of people are kind of at. So talking about, like, putting the right team around him, because, you know, I do think about Super Bowl champions and, you know, guys like Nick Foles, Joe Flacco, and... Brad Johnson and Jeff Hostetler. I mean, and a couple of them have like, you know, kind of come in late season, but they weren't great quarterbacks, but they were good enough quarterbacks that the team around them, Trent Dilfer, um, forgot to mention him that, you know, they, and and they won. So you can roll the dice. And sometimes like some, most years you're going to need a quarterback that can win games for you on his own. And that is a franchise guy, you know, on his path to the hall of fame. Like just as we saw, a couple weekends ago with Peyton Manning, you know, and Tom Brady in, in, in the stands being really weird in the way Tom Brady is. Um, but so the pieces around, it. so skilled positions, you know, the two, we have two of the top 10 wide receivers in the league by most measures in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Delvin Cook is maybe the best running back in the NFL, if not one of the best top two or three. So you want a little bit of luck in terms of health with those guys, but we're set at the position players. So how do we protect Cousins? And how do you feel about this offensive line? That's a good question. I want to be optimistic, but I feel like over the past, gosh, how many years? Like eight years or so? It, it, I'm kind of at a point where sh- show me that you're a good offensive line. You know, I don't want to live off hope for the offensive line because, 
I mean, year after year, I think there's been a lot of hope they brought in free agents and, you know, they don't necessarily, like some of them have been okay. Um, like Riley Reef, like he was serviceable. He wasn't bad, but like some of these other guys just weren't that good. Like Remmers last year during the Super Bowl, or sorry, earlier this year during the Super Bowl, um, the Chiefs had a very banged up offensive line and who was one of the guys protecting Patrick Mahomes? Remmers. And he was just getting blown up. Um, and we saw how the Super Bowl went. Patrick Mahomes, he had a very rough game. And he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. I know he might have been dealing with a little bit of an injury, too. So I want to acknowledge, you know, that might have factored in with his mobility. But even with, you know, having good skill players, having good coaching, and just overall a pretty good team around him, he had a rough offensive line for the Super Bowl. And I think that was really a big factor in why they lost and why they struggled so much offensively. So as far as our offensive line, I'm hopeful. You know, I think that, um, you know, like Brian O'Neill, he's kind of showing that I think we have a really good right tackle in him. Um, I know some people are feeling that Garrett Bradbury is a bust, but I'm not willing to write him off yet. Um, he's had rough guard play around him. I'd like to really see if he has two guards and he can really just kind of do his job as a center. How does he stack up um, when he doesn't have two weak links in the chain around him? Because um, I know when he gets into space and he's like run blocking and stuff, we know he's phenomenal. He's got great movement. Um, I'd really like to see how he does with some solid guards around him. You know, uh, Udo has apparently stepped up a lot this year and taken a good step. I think they've had him slotted in that right guard, I believe. Um, and I'm really, really hoping that, um, you know, our left side can be really good too. Um, I think, you know, if we have to go with Dakota Dozier, um, we're going to be in for a rough season. I'm really hoping. Is it Wyatt Davis who we're hoping is going to be the left guard or is he the tackle? Well, you know, it, it, with the offensive line, they, they move guys around a lot. And th I think that Ezra Cleveland, at least at this point, what I saw on the Vikings depth chart that they released in the last week, they have, so they have O'Neal penciled in at the right tackle, the right guard. Um, you know, it, I think that, you know, Ole Udo, he's, he's been playing most of the first team snaps. Dakota Dozier's there and then Wyatt Davis, the third round draft pick. So on the right side, it's probably going to be, you know, I would suspect like why Davis is going to be in the mix and then Udo and then at right tackle, Brian O'Neill and then left guard, you got Ezra Cleveland. And I think we're fine there. Like Brian O'Neill and I think Ezra Cleveland are very serviceable. Like, and the big question for me is then at left tackle, you know, with Derisaw out, like, so it, you know, I'll make this point. I, the offensive line to me is like, you know, Spielman clearly like, quote, fix the line, expending high draft capital, high draft capital, excuse me, you know, on the offensive line. That's a risk because you don't know how those guys are going to turn out. And so after the draft, you know, um, review that Cousin Isaac and I did, like, I was pretty excited. I'm like, we got Christian Derrissaw at 23 and we were at 16 and we traded down and we got a couple of extra picks and, you know, and now Derrissaw is out and like, there's really not been much clarity on his injury. Hasn't, you know, played at all in training camp. And so, you know, you throw in, you know, Rashad Hill and it's like, okay, that's a question mark. And my worry is this, Andrew, 
you know, if Rashad Hill, because he's the left tackle, he's probably going against the top pass rusher on the opposite team. So if he can't, you know, and, and, and we saw some of him last year, like if he can't hold his own and, you know, then Bradbury at center, you're right. He gets out into those zone blocking schemes and he's okay. Like he's good even, but when you're asking him to protect the quarterback, so if they can get, you know, moving up the middle, unless those guards, as you're saying, can flank him and kind of protect him. Like, you know, you start getting pressure on Kirk from two different angles and it, it, it's a, it doesn't matter who you have running the ball or who you have on the outside. Like it, it's game over. That's that's. And by the way, remember this segment is why the Vikings will be bad. So if I think about worst case scenario for the offensive line, Darisaw doesn't come back. I think O'Neal and, and Cleveland are fine. Bradbury continues to be who he is. Um, and, you know, why Davis doesn't step up, Ole Udo, like he's been great and he's been playing a lot of first team snaps in training camp, but we're still not sure about him. And, you know, the key for Cousins is that you can, he can kind of get away from pressure from one area. He just can't from two. You know, that's, I think, the case against this offensive line protecting him. And the whole offense could fall apart if Cousins doesn't have protection. Absolutely. But, you know, he's not Russell Wilson. Like, he's not going to, you know, give you that option with his legs regularly. Um, he does it once in a while, which is a pleasant surprise. But, yeah, like, he, he needs that good protection. Um, and, yeah, worst case scenario, if he doesn't have the protection... He's going to have some really rough games. Um, it's kind of surprising, you know, how durable he has been. Knock on wood, probably just jinxed it, but it's been kind of surprising how durable he's been with all the hits he's been taking over the past few years. And, you know, how well I feel he's been kind of doing with hanging in there, making throws, and kind of keeping the ball moving through the air during a lot of games, even when he's just getting, you know, thrown down. Right. Well, it helps when you got a couple of safety valves like, you know, like Diggs and Thielen and now Jefferson and Thielen. Like it, it certainly and, you know, he had um, he's got Herb Smith Jr. now, but the um, Vikings tight end um, Kyle Rudolph, you know, like it, it helps when if you're facing pressure and you can just toss the ball up or even the run game is going to help protect him because the threat of Delvin Cook finding a hole and breaking, you know, a 10, 15, 20, or even longer run, like helps him in the passing game because the defense has to respect that. So I still think though, that the offensive line, even though we had two high draft picks is still a pretty big question mark for this team. So how confident are you about this cornerbacking crew actually being able to shut down opposing receivers? It's a good question. And I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, I know our cornerbacks looked pretty rough last year. We had two rookies in one of the toughest positions to adapt to as far as like the leap from college to the NFL. Plus, we all know Zimmer's scheme is not a super simple one. So they're trying to, they're making this leap as far as like this, just the talent of the people they're playing against. And, you know, they're taking some getting used to and kind of um, getting to that level. I'm getting their bodies strengthened and just kind of preparing themselves and getting themselves at that point, but also having to learn this new scheme. That's a fairly complicated one. Um, I think they, I thought I saw progress though throughout last year, which gave me hope. Um, you know, things really fell apart once Eric Hendricks got injured. Um, 
I feel like he was kind of the last piece of glue just kind of holding everything together. And when he was out, the defense was just, they were done. There wasn't much um, that I think they could do. I think if, and this kind of goes back to if Michael Pierce had played, um, he had opted out last year due to asthma and the COVID concerns, and Daniil Hunter had that uh, that injury. I think if those guys had been in there, that would have helped the cornerbacks a whole lot because there probably would have been some pressure and they didn't have much pressure up front the whole season. You know, Nick Ngakwe played for six games, I think, for us, and he was our leading pass rusher for the whole season. Um, so they didn't have much help up front. Now, with that said, um, even though Jeff Gladney um, is no longer with the team, um, I think a lot of people are feeling very positively about Cam Dantzler. I think he's going to have a good year, and I think he's going to have less pressure on him than last year. Um, our old, I'm sorry, our D-line should be a lot better. Um, you know, we brought back Mackenzie Alexander, who I think is really going to help in that slot cornerback spot. Um, but also having Patrick Peterson, you know, even if he is not able to kind of, you know, step back up into more of kind of the guy he used to be, um, I've seen some great videos of him working with some of the young guys during practice and giving them tips, um, suggestions about kind of things that he does that has helped his play. And I think he's bringing a lot of really valuable knowledge, which is going to help out some of these young guys. Um, I know as a Vikings fan, you never want to say it can't get worse. I really don't think our, um, our cornerback play is going to be worse than last year. Unless we have a whole bunch of injuries and, you know, we're having to roll out like second and third stringers. Yeah. I think the salient point that you made, Andrew, is that like the pressure, the defensive line, and we'll get to this a little bit later on, but I think is the singularly most talented, um, uh, group of guys on this team. And so like Tomlinson and Pierce up the middle and, and especially Daniel Hunter coming off the edge, you're right. Like I, I would expect, um, you know, and then Zimmer with his blitz schemes with with the right personnel there. That, that there's not going to be nearly as much pressure as you saw in like two really young guys last year in Gladney and um, Dantzler. But you know, I, man, Gladney's gone, and you know he was a first round draft pick, and he's gone for good reason, for the record. Like, but he's gone, and so Mackenzie Alexander, you're right, you slide him in as your your nickel or dime back, and he's fine. Um, and Patrick Peterson, you know, a voice in the locker room, a veteran presence, a guy that can, you know, be sort of, you know, Zimmer's voice when Zimmer's not there. That's also not something that I think is insignificant. I still wonder, though, like, you know, Bashad Breland is is penciled in as your starter on one side. And at this point, like, you know, the Vikings depth chart again, Patrick Peterson on the other. And then you got Dantzler coming, you know, at this, you know, he could he, he start week one, maybe. There's just some question marks. Like Gladney's gone. Like Peterson, good presence, but is he washed up? We're still not sure what we have with Dantzler. Mackenzie Alexander is not going to be a guy that you can throw out on an island on either side. And so, you know, I think the corners aren't going to get as much pressure because of that defensive line, but I, I still wonder if this could be an Achilles heel of this team. I definitely think, you know, the big test is going to be when we play um, some of those top quarterback teams, you know, Packers, of course. It's a great point. We, we just don't know. I think, I think there's reasons to be hopeful and optimistic. Like I said, it's hard to imagine 
that defensively things are going to be worse than last year. I know I'm probably cursing the team by saying that. Um, so if bad things happen, please don't blame me, people. Um, it's just, it's hard to imagine after all the stuff defensively that happened last year that this is going to be worse. Although, you never know. You know, Andrew, I think that's a good segue. Like, I think, in, you know, our, our, our next segment is going to be why the Vikings will be good next year. And I think a big part of that is the Vikings defense. So let's get into that a little bit more after the break. All right, we're back from break, and and Andrew and I are going to talk a little bit now about why the Vikings might be good. And Andrew, you feel pretty bullish about the defensive line. We talked about them a little bit briefly, but you know what what brings you into that state of mind? I think it's going to be one of the better D lines that we've had in a while. You know, of course, like Daniil Hunter's been good, um, and we've had some really talented guys on there before, like. Uh, you know, Big Goon, he was awesome. Um, you know, Eric Hendricks has just been such a solid linebacker to have one of the best in the league. Um, like, we've had talent on there, but one of the weaknesses for a while has been the run stopping. And I really think that with the additions of um, Tomlin- Dalvin Tomlinson and then also having, um, oh, what's his name back? Uh, Sheldon Richardson, I think. And Michael yep. Pierce. So having those three guys, I mean, those are three big guys. They're strong. They got some, like, they got some speed and agility. Um, they're kind of the guys that Zimmer really likes to see in his D line. Um, you know, they can kind of anchor it down, but, you know, they can also eat up some of the O line. Um, you know, these aren't necessarily guys that, it's going to be easy for just one guy to block because they're so big and powerful. So I think that they're really going to help collapse the pocket. I think they're going to really help with the run stuffing, which is going to be huge because it has been a bit of a weakness for a few years now, being able to stop the run. Um, and I think that those guys being able to do that, you know, if you're able to take away one dimension of an offense or really make the offense struggle in one of its areas, you know, it makes it so that they can the defense can feast in another area. Like if they can't run the ball and it's all in the quarterback, you're going to have guys coming in on blitzes, getting around the edge, and they're going to get some sacks and make some big plays. And I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic that this D-line is going to be really solid this year. Um, you know, I think that... If everyone can stay healthy, there is a lot of talent on that D-line. Like when we brought in Tomlinson, a lot of people online, Giants fans, were really disappointed that you know he wasn't going to stick around, um, which I always take that as a good sign when other fan bases are disappointed to lose someone. So what do you think about the D-line? How are you thinking it's going to be? No, I, I, Andrew, I feel I, this is a place where I, I'm right in line with you. Like Pierce, it sounds like everything I've heard at training camp, he's just throwing bodies around like they're body bags. And you throw, you know, Tomlinson was a good addition. Um, cousin Isaac, I think, made the point like this could be the Williams wall, right? Then you got Hunter coming off the edge. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure, um, like if, 
the linebacking crew, you know, kind of moving to that. Like Eric Kendricks, if you've got, so if I think about, you know, football, you need to have a backbone on defense, your defensive tackles, your middle linebacker, and then your safeties, kind of like in baseball. Like you want to be strong up the middle with your shortstop, your second base, and, you know, your catcher, and then your center fielder. And, you know, I think about Eric Kendricks had an all pro year last year with no push up front. So if you've got Pearson Tomlinson up there, that's going to allow Zimmer to use um, Kendricks in a lot of blitz packages. And he's really good in the pass defense. I mean, if you weren't, you know, if you couldn't see his number, you might see, you might say Eric Kendricks, just based on what he's able to do is a, is a safety just because of his skill set and how transferable it is. So he's been flying all over the field in training camp too. And I think like, uh, then, you know, you, you get Xavier Woods back there from the Cowboys that we picked up and then you got Harrison Smith, still one of the top five or 10 safeties in all of football. And like, that makes me feel good. I, I, I'm not, as as optimistic as I talked about before about the corners, um, but I think this D line could be the heart of the football team if they stay healthy. And um, you know, we got a lot of talent on defense. Could potentially be an elite defense, and that would be saying something considering the year that we came from last year. Um, now, Andrew, we talked a lot about why the O line like was going to be the Achilles heel of this team. There's a chance. There's a chance. With Darisaw coming back, you know, Bradbury being good in the running game, you know, you got Davis maybe playing up to his potential as a third-round pick, the emergence of of Udo, you got Ezra Cleveland. You know, people keep talking about this is the team's weakness, and I still probably land more in that camp, but is there a chance that they come together? That's the dream. You know, they've really been the weak link for years now. Um I think at this point you can't say that they haven't tried to improve the O-line. You know, I think they've definitely tried to approach it through free agency. They've tried to approach it um, through the draft. And, you know, they've, they've put some effort in. It's just stuff hasn't really panned out. Um, I think that there is some reason to be optimistic. I'm cautious about it. Um, I want them to show me that, you know, they're up to the task and that they can hate be um, a better unit than what we've seen. But I really think that like the ideal situation is, you know, if Udo steps up and he is good, if Wyatt Davis is good, um, if Darisaw is good, I'd rather have the problem of having too many good O-line guys that they can't all start than having holes. And I think that if we can have a solid O-line, like I honestly think the Vikings could have one of the best, if not the best, offense in the league, which I know that's a bold claim in a league that really focuses on good offense. But I think the Vikings could have the best offense with a good O-line. No, you know, Andrew, like, okay, so, like, if there's a good O-line is the biggest part of that, like, conditional statement. Um, I do think that we have more pieces this year than we did last. So there's a better chance, even with an injury or two, that we can piece things together in a way that doesn't derail the team. But even last year, with what was a very porous offensive line, as you're alluding to, you know, we ended the year um, fourth in total yards on offense and in the top 10 in points per game. And like this offense can move the ball, and that speaks a lot to the talent of. Um, the position players, and I think maybe we take them a little bit for granted. Just the Vikings have a long history of churning out really good receivers. Mm-hmm. We just do. And running backs. Um, you know, you go back. 
and running backs, right? Like, like you go up and down the, the you know, the, the years and there's, you know, every, there's usually a guy there every three, four years that, that that's making the pro bowl. And, you know, I, we don't need to talk about them a ton because I think we can just pencil them in, but the cook Thielen Jefferson combo in terms of receivers and running backs, that's one of the top in the league in terms of guys that can play make for you. Absolutely. I think plenty of teams would love to have those guys on their offense. Um, and we are very lucky, you know, for as much of trouble as we've had developing O-line or drafting or bringing in the right kind of O-line, the Vikings have been really great in the running da- running back department, um, wide receivers, and tight ends. They've done a great job with some of those skill positions. Um, and we've had a lot of good guys over the years. All right, Andrew. So we talked about the offense. We talked about the defense. We talked about what could go wrong and what might go right. There's a lot of guys that have been around for a while now. You know, Zimmer as the head coach entering what season number seven? You got Rick Spielman. He's been around for a decade or more. Um, you know, Cousins has been in town for a while. So, you know, if this season goes south, like why do you think that might happen? And and, and then who's on the hot seat? You know, I think I think right now the biggest concern from a lot of fans, um, including myself, is I think the biggest thing that's going to get in the Vikings' way is if there's a team that's going to have a COVID outbreak, unfortunately, you know, the Vikings have a good shot of that. Um, we've already had a situation where multiple quarterbacks, including our starter, had to miss time um, going through COVID protocols. And I think that that's going to be potentially you know, the biggest thing that could derail the seasons and it would be very Vikings of them, you know, to be on a hot streak and then the team loses starters to the COVID protocol. Cause we've got some, at least from what's kind of out there, we have some of our big starters who seem to be, um, unvaccinated. And even if they don't get sick, just going through the COVID protocols can really take them out of some stuff. So I think that that could potentially be the big thing that derails the season. Um, a few weeks ago, the Vikings were last in the league with their vaccination rates. I think that they were at like 70% who had one shot, um, whereas the rest of the league at the time had been at, I think, 90% of at least players having one shot. Um, I'm hoping that's gone up a little bit over the past few weeks, um, but I really think that's something that could derail us. Well, it already kind of has, right, in preseason, as you're talking about with the quarterbacks getting knocked out. And, yeah, like there's a number of high-profile Vikings, as you mentioned, that haven't got the vaccination. And, you know, like even for those that have, like with the Delta variant, there's a good chance that a lot of NFL players could contract the, you know, COVID-19. Maybe it's not going to lead to, like, significant illness, but that's still going to put them into those protocols. Um, I think there's actually going to be a lot of teams like vaccinated or not. And I think there's going to, it's going to be a big part of the winter this year is that we're, we're, we're continuing to deal with this in a different way. Like we've got pr- some protection against it. Um, but it would be very Vikings like for us to go on a, on a, on a little hot spell and then for everything to kind of come apart be- because of something completely out of our control. I hope that's not it. I do wonder though, Andrew, you know, I maybe if you know if that's what happens, if it's injuries that you can't control, you know, or if it's COVID, that might buy everybody another year. Because I think there's a lot more graciousness in the pandemic about, you know, like 
you still want to get results and you want to win. But if you don't win, and be, part of the reason why you don't win is because guys are missing time. Because, you know, last year, it, they may, it may not be as impactful this year, but in a shortened season, no off season, a lot of soft tissue injuries, a lot of guys missing time, or just plain getting COVID and going into protocol, right? Like, it's hard to hold people as responsible as you might otherwise for performance or for roster construction, right? So it could be a get-out-of-jail-free card. Not that I want it to happen, but if it goes down that way, you know, I think you might see all three back next year. And I, I agree with you. Um, I think Zimmer, you know, he's been very public. Like, he wants the guys to be vaccinated. Um, you know, he's been pushing that. And I would have a hard time if we lost games because the guys in COVID protocol, or even, you know, the NFL made that announcement that, um, you know, if a game has to be canceled because of COVID and it can't be rescheduled, um, you know, the team responsible, I believe, for um, the COVID um, outbreak, um, they forfeit. Um, and, you know, it's a loss. Yeah, it's a loss. And so, you know, that's another thing that could potentially happen. And I, I think Zimmer, he's out front saying like he wants the guys to get vaccinated and I don't think he could hold them responsible if the if people because of their individual choices miss the games or you know affect um affect the season because they have to go through COVID protocols because they didn't follow um his um encouragement or um him wanting people to be vaccinated. So honestly, in some ways, when you ask about the hot seat, I genuinely think that if Kirk Cousins misses time because of COVID protocols, um, and, you know, kind of being out front as someone who, um, he hasn't officially said it, but he's pretty much said everything that's indicated he's not vaccinated. I think if he misses time or we lose games because of COVID related things that he is connected to, I think he's going to be on the hot seat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy's got uh, this gargantuan contract. You know, as we talked about, he's probably a middling quarterback that sometimes, under perfect conditions, you know, can can do above average. Can't really lead a locker room. And now you throw this on there. And if the team loses momentum because he's out, now you got to bring in, I think Kellen Mond eventually is going to be the number two guy in this team. Like, Probably not ready in his rookie year as a third round draft pick out of Texas A&M, but you know, like it, there's going to be a lot of people that are upset and just, I think like the Wilfs and, and, and Spielman are going to have to do something about that in the off season, whether or not they can get off that contract is a, is a, you know, I know there's ways, but, um, let's not hope it gets there, but I, I, I don't think that you, um, miss the target with, with that take. So, all right, all this talk about things that could, you know, send us sideways, reasons we could be good, reasons we might not be. Vegas has our over under at eight and a half to nine wins in the new seventeen game season. So, what do you think? We are we over or under that? Oh, I I think we're over that. Um, the number that keeps jumping out at me is thirteen. Um, thirteen what? 13 wins. I th- I think we're going to be 13 wins or higher under 15 wins though. Um, I, I think this, wait, we're going to go 13 and four, 14 and three or 15 and two. I think that I'd say that's kind of the area I'm thinking that they're going to be in. Um, 
Andrew, Andrew, if it is safe in January or February, whenever our season ends, well, maybe December, but hopefully not, and we win 13, 14, or 15 games, even if we flame out in the playoffs, I will buy you a steak dinner. Okay. I'll hold you to that. You heard that here first. 13 wins or above. <laughs> I take it from what you're saying though that you have maybe a more conservative estimate than what I'm thinking. Okay. Well, give me your 30 seconds on why we could, we, we will win at least 13 games. You know, it sounds silly, but I think that there is something to that every other year. Um, the Vikings go hard and have a huge year and then they have a lackluster follow up year. Um, last year was our down year. I think they're due for a big one. You know, on paper, it looks like a team that could have a big year. Um, and like we were saying, if the O line is even okay, um, or a step up from last year, you know, I think the offense could be in contention for the top offense of the NFL. And then on the other side, if the defense is, um, solid, which I think it's going to be, you know, I think that this is a team that can go on a run. So I think 13 wins is very realistic. Now, as I was saying, you know, I could see COVID potentially derailing things, injuries, stuff like that. Um, so 13 is my optimistic one. Um, you know, 15, I, I think if they're really hot and things are going their way, it could happen. But, you know, I'm, I don't believe that as much. I think 13 is kind of the magic number for this team. Well, no, you said, so 15 is your optimistic, 13 is your pessimistic. So I was going to go over to um, at least the 8.5. I probably would take the over even at nine. Like, I think like this could be a 10 win team. I do. I, I don't, I don't see 13. I don't see 15. Um, I just, I think like we, you know, our quarterback's not great. We have great position players, our offensive line, a lot of question marks, our special teams. We didn't talk about them today. A lot of question marks. Our defense, I think, is going to be good. But, you know, if we have injuries on the defensive line, then it really exposes, I think, a shaky situation on the corners. And there's just, and then you factor in, you know, injuries and COVID protocols. And I, there's just a lot of ways that this season may not go the way we expect it. Um, so I'll put it that way. So, all right. So 13 wins or more and you and me at Manny's uh, next spring. I'm um- I'm looking forward to it. Don't let me down, Vikings. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, Andrew, it's been great having you on the pod tonight. You want to you wanna take us out? I would love to. I think I'm going to do a little bit of the Vikings prayer. Um, and maybe luck will shine on us a little bit. So bless the knees and keep them healthy. If Kirk gets COVID, may his pizza ranch be cold and his sleep number be wrong. May Odin take us to Valhalla. Skull. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it, Andrew. Well, thank you for coming on tonight. And thank you for all that that tuned in for this episode. And and please stay safe out there.